0: You know, recently I, have, I did a lot of driving. Don't feel sorry for me. I drove to places like Colorado and North Carolina. And uh, while driving in that Swagger Wagon minivan with four kids in the back, I spent a lot of time with my headphones on <laughs> listening to music. And uh, I enjoy all kinds of music. Just tell me, really, just yell it out. Or maybe don't yell. Uh, I don't want you to start sweating. Uh, what kind of music do you like? Just Just say it. What did Jesse say? One direction. one direction. Yes. All right. What kind of music do you like? Rock and roll. Okay. Well, yes. Uh, I heard one of my own say rap. I actually like a little rap music myself. I like all kinds of music. Um, <clears throat> typically, though, I listen to one type of music. Um, and, uh, and I like it. I get to choose, right? If I'm using my Spotify account, I get to choose what kind of music I like. And, and I also, while I'm listening to the songs, uh, I get to do a thumbs up or a what? Thumbs down, right? If I like it, thumbs up. If I don't like it, thumbs down. And somehow there's a, there's a logarithm that then generates more music like what the kind of music I like. And eventually it starts telling me uh, what kind of music I like. And it, it knows, Right. And um, the, the playlist changes based on what I like to hear to give me more of what I like to hear. And it occurred to me on one of these uh, trips that, uh, that we live in a day where people treat the Bible in the same way, right? We, we find things that we like in it, we give it a thumbs up, we want to hear more of it. We find things that we don't like in it, we give it a thumbs down and we quit listening to it. The problem with this reality, though, is that the Bible, the whole Bible, is God's playlist for us, and the way that we get to see who God is and who we are and what it matters, how it matters for our lives, is we get to listen to the entire playlist, and there may be things that are difficult to hear that we want to say thumbs down, but we don't get to say, I don't want to listen to that. There are other things that are a little easier to hear, and we want to say thumbs up, which is okay, but... What we as a church believe is that the whole Bible is God's playlist, and we want to listen to the whole thing, even the parts that are difficult to hear, which is one reason, in the course of a year, uh, we will teach through New Testament books, like we just finished the Book of First Peter. Uh, we'll teach through Old Testament books. We're about to do four weeks of Malachi, and on, from time to time we'll do topical series, like we're going to do a topical series in uh, like August, September that I actually go along with a book that I've written about healthy families being on mission. It's called Living Connected, which I'm excited about that. And, but today, as we begin Malachi, I want you to know that there will be parts of Malachi that are hard to hear. And you will want to say, eh, I don't want to listen to that. But my encouragement to you is this, because I believe that most of you really want to, to know who God is, and you want to know what that means for your life, and how to experience a peace of life with Christ. So as we walk through Malachi, and I appreciate so much Sarah reading that entire chapter because each week we're going to read the entire chapter. So we don't, we're not going to just take out a verse or two of it and then build out a message. We're going to like look at the whole thing and say, God, who are you? Who are we? And what does that mean for our daily lives? So here we are in the book of Malachi. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon series out of the book of Malachi. All right. That would be nobody. Okay. Well, good. Malachi is what's called a prophet. A prophet is somebody sent by God to speak on behalf of God. He writes this book that we call Malachi. It's called a minor prophet. There are major prophets, minor prophets, and the difference is not important. So it's not like the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah are more important than the minor prophets like Malachi. It just typically reveals that the book of Malachi is shorter than the book of Isaiah. So Malachi is a minor prophet. He prophesies about uh, 400 years before the birth of Christ. And what's really interesting is that after this book of Malachi, there's a period of 400 years where it seems as if God is silent. 400 years. So this is the last book in the history of the Bible before the first book in the New Testament. Leading up to the birth of Jesus. So just a little bit of background for those of you that are new to the Bible. Much of the Old Testament includes, talk about this ethnic group called the Israelites. The Israelites are descendants of Abraham. And at some point, talked about in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham, not because anything really wasn't particularly good about Abraham. He just wanted to choose Abraham. And he basically made a covenant with Abraham, a covenant's like a promise. He said, Abraham, I am going to make your name great. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and from your people is going to come someone that's going to bless all people. And we now know that that someone is Jesus. And that covenant didn't have to do with whether or not Israel Israel obeyed him. But there were other kinds of covenants, like the Mosaic Covenant, if you think about Moses and the Ten Commandments and the giving of the law. This covenant was this. God said to Israel, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, you'll suffer. And so this list of commands, which was about 600 commands and included the Ten Commandments, which you're probably familiar with, is what God gave to Israel so that they would know what faithfulness to the covenant looked like. And in this relationship between God and this tribe, this ethnic group called the Israelites, uh, there was a revelation to the whole world about who, what is God like and why is there a need for a Savior. And along the way, if you read the Old Testament, uh, there were times where Israel obeyed God and they were blessed. And there were other times where Israel disobeyed God and they suffered for it. There was this pattern that happened back and forth. And um, and, and really, ultimately, what it reveals is that even with the law, even with the special this special relationship that God had with Israel and his promises to them, they needed something other than their own volition, their own strength to save them. And it sets the stage for the... The moment when God became flesh in the form of a man named Jesus who fulfilled the law, took on sin, and made righteousness before God available. So with that as the backdrop, we enter into Malachi and we, we are going to see this. Here, here's the big idea. Ingratitude for God will diminish our worship of God. I wrestled with that statement because I want to be more positive than that, but really it's what Malachi is saying. Ingratitude for God will diminish our worship of God. This is chapter one. And what we want for you is for you to live a life that God makes possible for you. We don't, we don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. And, and we want for him to get glory by your life when you reflect his greatness to the world. And so this is why we look at this letter from Malachi. So let's start in verse one. The or- oracle of the word... Of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Everybody says oracle. So an oracle is a word that's translated, and twenty-seven times throughout the prophetic books, it comes with kind of this this sense of anxiety and foreboding. So there is a kind of threatening nature to this this idea of oracle, and um, and Malachi writes this oracle to Israel in possibly the worst season of disobedience. Things are not going well for Israel. And God cannot ignore their unfaithfulness to the covenant in which they promised they would obey his laws. So they said, yes, God, we will obey your laws. We accept. And yet they were in this season, this period where they were disobeying God's laws. And we'll see some ways in which they were doing that. And that scary reality, I think, for Israel and sometimes maybe even for us is that they seemed clueless that they were so far off track. They they seem clueless as at the reality of, of this, this problem in their relationship with God and they're kind of going about doing their thing and it it uh, it was a problem. So um the my undergrad I started it at Northeastern State University in Oklahoma. Give it up for Oklahoma. Thank you. Wow, I'm feeling supported right now. Um, so during my second year of college, uh, I really really struggled. I really struggled. I was in a bad relationship with this gal for a couple years. It's very dysfunctional, and, and it became a god to me. In a class I was taking, I was accused of cheating on an exam. And although it was later discovered that somebody actually cheated off of me, I lived for a short period of time with the fear that I would be kicked out of school. I felt... During that time, a mounting pressure to decide what I was going to do with my life, and, and I remember this one night after a very stressful week of tests and conflict with this girl that I thought I was supposed to marry. I decided that I needed to go home, I needed to get out of there. It was really late. I was really tired. The way home for me from my school to my parents' house was infrequently traveled windy roads and rolling hills with steep ravines on one side. So I'll never forget, I was driving along about 45 minutes into my drive of that 1988 Ford Mustang. Mm. I got lulled into a trance as I was fixing my eyes on the yellow line in the middle of the road, just thinking about all that was going on in my life. This stupor. Represented what was happening in my own heart, right? I, I mean, I was traveling in life, but I, I wasn't aware of the dangerous state that I was living in. My eyes closed longer for each blink, and I fell asleep. I don't know how long I was asleep, but I can remember, like it was yesterday, the sound of the crash My car veered off the road and, by the grace of God, caught the last few feet of a guardrail preventing me from careening off the road into a ditch. I was shaken up. I got out of my car with tears. The stress had boiled over. I looked at the side of my car. It was all beat up. I was so close to my own death. What Malachi is doing here is he's speaking words to act as a guardrail to Israel. And they're a guardrail for us. He writes to shake the people from their state of being asleep. They've been anesthetized by their own sin. And if they do not become alert, they will not experience the life that God has for them. And what's worse, they will be a poor reflection of the greatness of God to other people. The first words of this oracle found in chapter 1, verse 2 are breathtaking. In the midst of this disobedience, here's what God says. I have loved you. (laughs) I have loved you, says the Lord. There's something remarkable about God that I want to just kind of pause and mention here. And that is that God does not walk away. When you're struggling, when I'm struggling, when we're off the rails or off course, God does not walk away. God has this way of of calling us, of drawing us, of, of beckoning us back to the life that he has for us because he knows what's best. He says to Israel, I have loved you, Israel. And he knows everything about them. Isn't that an amazing thing? I don't know everything about you. You don't know everything about one another. But God knows everything about you, everything. He knows your best moment and your worst moment. He knows your brightest moment and your darkest moment. And and here you are, and God is saying to you, I have loved you. I love you. I have a life for you. There's a problem, so the people get oracled. Everybody say oracled. So this is a word. I looked it up in the Scrabble dictionary. This is what Malachi's doing is he's he's going to oracle the people. And the reason that they're getting oracle is because they're living in sin and it's a big deal to God. And the kind of category of sin that is the problem is their ingratitude. God says, I have loved you. The people respond with this. How have you loved us? It rings of a teenager yelling at their parent. What have you ever done for me? And you remember that? Some of you have teenagers, or you were a teenager, and you hit a moment where your parents have clearly done a lot for you, but you think to yourself, what have you ever done for me? My life is so difficult. If and when my kids ever say that to me, I'm going to say, well, you're, you've made, you're alive, right? I mean, you've made it this far. That's something. And as a parent, that's quite an accomplishment. Well, God God does not take lightly to their response of, what have you ever done for us? And he responds with a talk of this Jacob and Esau. We don't have a lot of time to get into it, but Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 through 5 begins like this. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? So in this day, uh, the blessing that went from the father would go to the older brother first and uh, Esau was the older brother, and God in his sovereignty chose to bless Jacob instead. And these people that are listening to Malachi's prophecy are descendants of Jacob. They're descendants of the person that God chose um, because he's God and he can do whatever he wants. It's not Acab, Jacob's brother. It's not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Now, this idea of love and hate, it's not like an emotion. It's more, it uh, gives us a sense of choice. God says, what have I done for you? I mean, I have chosen to have a special relationship with you, and you had nothing to do with it. Just because I love you, I've chosen to make myself known to you through the law. I've chosen to make myself known to you by conquering your enemies. I've chosen to make myself known to you simply because you're a descendant of Jacob, who I chose long before you were ever even born. It's just this right. How have you loved us? Have you you ever felt like that? Things are going maybe things are kind of difficult in your life and you know they're experiencing some difficulty you begin to struggle and and it just becomes difficult to remember all the blessings of God have you ever done that? I mean this morning I did I come in here and I'm like God come on man we're trying to do our thing in here and it's hot like give us something and God's like I gave you a building I gave you people I gave you chairs when we struggle in this life we can easily forget all the blessings from God isn't that right? When we struggle in this life, we can easily forget all the blessings from God. Thank you. I got one person with me back in the back. When we struggle in this life, we can easily forget all the blessings of God. We begin to focus on, God, what have you ever done for me? During that second year of college, I was struggling and I lost sight of all the blessings in my life. I focused on how broke I was instead of appreciating the scholarship that I received to go there or the food I had to eat, the car that I had to drive. I focused on this failing relationship and it consumed me instead of counting my blessings of how many friends and family that I had that loved me. I focused on the uncertainty of my future instead of being grateful for the education I was receiving. And it all resulted in my attempt to find comfort in the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's the thing. Ingratitude can lead to lifestyle choices that are missing the mark with God, and that's called sin. I won't go into detail about what it was like for me in college. Some of you have your own stories, but I made some pretty poor choices. I focused on what wasn't going right, and then I needed some comfort, and so rather than going to God, I mean, why would I go to God? Because my attitude was, God, what have you ever done for me? I chose instead to try to comfort myself in sin, and it did not work out. Here's the thing, and here's why. Gratitude is such a big deal to God. If we stay in a state of ingratitude for too long, we can begin to justify in our minds sinful behaviors. And what we'll see in the next few weeks is that the sins of Israel began to define them. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like a difficult day justifies a little indulgence in sin at night? Well, apparently Israel had a whole string of these days and they were coasting completely off the rails. Malachi trying to throw, it up, throw up this guardrail to keep them from going down into the ditch. And, and what's worse is that some of the difficulty that Israel was suffering from that caused them to go, God, what have you ever done for us? It was a result of their own choices. Sometimes the suffering in our life is not because, well, we live in a broken world and some of which we cannot control when we experience difficulty. Sometimes, and some of you are experiencing difficulty right now because of your own poor choices. And what God is saying is like, hello, I loved you. It's time to get back on course. Israel suffered because they were sinning, their lives became difficult, and it led to ingratitude in the midst of their worship. And gratitude in the midst of sin diminish their worship of God. Here's the thing about sin. When people are lulled into sleep by the difficulty of life that may or may not be caused by sin, the hardest thing to do is to worship God. The hardest thing to do is to come authentically and sincerely before the Lord and, and honestly before the Lord and give, give the Lord our best. And I, I, when I say here worship, we might think of like singing or even like church. But the Bible's pretty clear that our lives have the opportunity to be a 24-7 act of worship to God. When we're lulled into sleep by the difficulty of life or, uh, or, or sin, uh, the hardest thing to do is to, to live fully and authentically and sincerely before the Lord. Our worship is affected. Well, Malachi oracles Israel because sin had serious effects on their worship, and this is how it manifested itself for them. So as a part of their worship, they had to go to the temple... And at the temple, they had to bring animals and the priest would sacrifice the animals and the shed blood of the animals would symbolically cover the sin. And it was a temporary thing in the way that God set the whole thing up. This is strange to us, obviously, today. I mean, nobody here brought an animal that we're going to sacrifice and there's going to be shed blood and we're going to like, okay, we're good for another week. You know, our sin has been covered. One reason we don't is because Jesus is the final lamb who was sacrificed And there's no longer a need for animal sacrifices because the blood of Jesus erases sin. Doesn't just cover it up, erases sin. But in this day, they had to bring animals. And so what was happening is that uh, their ingratitude, their attitude of like, oh, God, what have you ever done for me, led them to justify in their own minds bringing the blemished, imperfect, impure animals, which were basically worthless in this day. So they would bring these to God, and here's the thing, they would appear very religious. So I'm going to the temple, and so I'm I'm appearing very religious, very spiritual. I mean, some of us can do that, right? We can appear religious, we can appear spiritual, we can talk about God, but really what's happening in our hearts is our hearts are far from God. This is what was happening with Israel. And God, God will not accept it. God knows their hearts. Malachi oracles them because their worship is fake and insincere. And you, might, you and I might be able to fool other people. I mean, when I was in college, and mentioned those times. I certainly was able to fool my parents. I was able to fool my Christian friends. But God knew my heart, and I was, I was drifting off of the freeway. These people, they brought blind animals and lame animals and sick animals and they gave God less than he deserved and not only less than he deserved, they gave less than he commanded them because he told them, bring the best of your flock. That's what I deserve. The pure, unblemished, highest prize in your flock to me because that's what I deserve. God deserves the best from his people. And you say, well, you know, my animals better than what somebody else brought. And I don't think God doesn't compare the animals, the type of worship we bring to other people's worship. No, God, God says, I expect the best. I want all of you. I want authenticity. I want sincerity. I want you to worship me fully. God asked in chapter 1, verse 6, where is my honor? And you have despised my name. And, and the people say, what? how? you know, what? Come on, God. Verse 7 by offering polluted food upon my altar. Revealed their apathy. Like, what's the big deal, God? I'm doing pretty good in these other areas. What's the big deal with this one kind of area of secret sin? I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, come on, I'm doing pretty good. And God says, no, no, it is a big deal because you're missing out on my best for you. I mean, I spend my money in this way, God, and there's nothing wrong with that. But God says, well, what about that other money where you're, you're spending in ways that do not honor me? Uh, God, this is how I'm living out my sex life. Uh, it, it's not as bad as what everybody else is doing. And God is saying, no, I've got a design for you. I, I've created you. And it's not ultimately, uh, you know, uh, about, it, it's, it's for you. It's for you to experience the life that you are supposed to experience. The people were apathetically saying, like, well, how have we profaned your name? And God says, because your worship is fake. Chapter 1, verse 10, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. This is a stinging word from the Lord. This is the point where Israel would have opened their Spotify, thumbs down. We don't want to listen to this. But God says, no, you need to listen. The real problem here is that they appeared religious, but their diminished worship revealed sin in their hearts. And this lowly state has led them to live ungrateful for all that God has done. Their focus is, God, what have you ever done for me? And God says, I have done more for you than you deserve, and I deserve your best worship. Not just coming to church, but every day of your life. Wake up. And and the question is, why, why is giving God our best in worship so important to God. You're like, you, you might be thinking, well, is God like, insecure or something? Like He needs a lot of people telling him, like you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. Here's the thing. God is the only being in all the universe that is completely justified in saying to humans, I deserve everything. I deserve your worship. I deserve your praise. I deserve all glory. And here's the thing about God. He gets glory when he rescues you from your sin, and he also gets glory when people are punished for their sin. This is the God of the Bible. And God is all about people understanding that he is great and responding to him in worship. And if the people of God offer to him less than their best, if we continue to live like, well, you know, 75% of my life is kind of completely for the Lord, but I'm going to keep this other 25% over here as like kind of my thing. If we do that, if we live like that, then what happens is the worship of God is diminished as a result of our lives. Here's what God is about. Chapter 1, verse 11. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts chapter 1 verse 14 for i am a great king says the lord of hosts and my name will be feared among the nations there is a lot in the bible about you there is there's a lot in the bible that talks about you and to you and it's for you but here's here's the 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 larger theme in the bible god is great he is the king he is about his glory and we submit to that. He's not ultimately about you being lifted up and praised and honored. And I hope that you feel honored and celebrated and encouraged. Sure. But that, can, that is secondary to the primary message of the Bible, which is God is great. God is awesome. God deserves the best from his people. Is anybody with me? Here's the problem, and I'm I'm beginning to draw this to a close. Uh, This is going to play out through Malachi, and the problem is that people are no longer sense agripped with a sense of how great God is. This is a fear that I have in, kind of the, the way we're trying to do church now. Not us specifically, but. As we've acknowledged the fact that in our city with 50-plus megachurches that are huge and spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on buildings, it's still not really putting a dent in lostness in our city. And so there's a lot of us that are saying, okay, what are we going to do to really impact people with the gospel? My fear is that um, we're, we're beginning to water it down a little bit and make it really ultimately about people when, when the gospel is pretty clear that ultimately it's about God. We must, if we're not gripped with the sense of the greatness of God, then we are lost. Why in the world would we reject sin when it is so attractive to us and feels so good? If we're not gripped with the sense of the greatness of the God, we respond and obey God because we say, God, you deserve our best. I love my wife and honor her and choose her because i know that honors you even when things are difficult i spend my money in a way that honors you i try to i'm not i'm not perfect at these things but these are our this is our aim because i want to honor you because you are a great god and i trust you and i love you and i believe in you and i believe in your greatness and i believe that you get glory when your children worship you every day of their lives In spirit and in truth, and authentically and sincerely. And here's the thing about God He cannot let worship that's less than acceptable go. He cannot let it go. God will not ignore it when His children become apathetic or inauthentic in worship. It's tough to hear. I know. I'm sweating. You may be too. He will not let it go when his children become apathetic or inauthentic in worship. You don't get to pick and choose. Like, this part makes me feel good, so I'm going to do this, and this part I don't like. Thumbs down, I'm not going to do it. That's not the way it works. God's not going to let it go. He will get your attention. You can fool other people, but you cannot fool God. The people need to be shaken. Malachi oracles them. Here's the difference, though, for us, as opposed to what was happening in Israel. The reason that we worship God sincerely and obey God fully is not... To earn blessing from God, right? So for Israel, they did not yet have a crucified Messiah. For us, we're on this side of the cross, and what we know, the Bible teaches that there is good news. And the good news is this: that God became flesh in the form of a man, his name is Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross for sin, because there had to be a payment made for sin. And clearly, as evidenced by the story of the New Testament and the people of Israel, man on man and woman on their own cannot live perfect, righteous lives before God, even with the law, even with this special relationship. So God says, I'll take it on goes to the cross, dies on the cross, takes on the penalty for sin, and was raised from the dead. And being raised from the dead gives us the hope of new life. So the gospel is that anybody that will say, yes, I have sinned, I'm separated from God because of my sin, I repent of my sin, turn away from it, I want to turn towards Jesus, then there's a mysterious exchange where his righteousness earned at the cross goes to us, and our sin is paid for by a shed blood of that final sacrificial lamb that's the gospel so on this side of the cross what we do is we obey God we we identify areas of our life that are a poor reflection of the greatness of God and we repent of them we turn away from them why not to earn righteousness but in response to what God has done for us that's the gospel you say God what have you ever done for me God says I've rescued you from death and I did it by sacrificing my only begotten son. And that shed blood makes it possible for you to be at peace with me, the king. This is the gospel. This is why we worship. Some of you are here and you're not yet followers of Christ and you're wondering, what in the world is this whole Christianity thing about? Christianity is, is good news and the good news is this, is that God, the creator of the universe, who is deserving of all worship and all praise and all glory, has seen his children who were separated from him by their sin and made a way for that sin to be forgiven so that they can experience a new life of Christ. That's good news. So we respond, we live, we wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, I wanna live fully, grateful for the blessing in my life. I wanna obey you, I wanna repent of sin and obey you with my life in response to the gospel. This lifestyle of sincere, wholehearted worship is a lifestyle expectation that remains the same. We can't just say, oh, well, Jesus died for my sin, then I'm cool. No, you say, I'm righteous, but there's a way that I ought to live because ultimately the world gets to see who God is by my life. We do all this in response to who Jesus is. I don't know about you, but, but uh, even as I was thinking about this, there's some areas in my heart where there's some sin. And uh, I need to repent of it the larger issue is that there are some areas in my life where there's some real ingratitude. I tend to focus on what's not happening or what I don't have, the ways that I don't see God working, rather than focusing on the way, on what I do have, what is happening, and what God has provided. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're struggling right now and you're feeling kind of beat up and you're feeling down and you feel yourself just, kind of overwhelmed by whatever difficulty you're experiencing and I'm not trying to minimize that those are those are things that we want to know about we want to pray with you about and care for you about but maybe just maybe what you're ultimately doing is going God what have you ever done for me and God is saying I've saved you I've done everything for you I've given you an opportunity to worship me fully and sincerely through faith in Christ there's a there's this mode of Christian living called repentance and repentance is whenever we acknowledge that we're walking the wrong way and we turn and walk towards the way that we know we're supposed to walk and not only do we repent when we first become believers we repent of becoming of being gods of our own life but we repent and turn towards Jesus placing our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin and for new life but along the way we have to repent I've repented in the way that I've been spending my money. I've repented in the way that I've been uh, treating my spouse. I've, been, I've repented in the way that I've been living out my sexuality. I've repented in whatever. And that's, that's part of healthy Christian living. And here's why you ought to do that. Because God deserves your full, sincere, authentic worship. He deserves it. He is glorious. And when you repent and you live in obedience to who God is, then the world gets to see how glorious God is. If you do... God will bless you with the life that you are meant to live. If you don't, you go off into the ravine. Let me just close with this illustration. It's been, it's been years since I've used an alarm clock to wake up. Anybody else like that? Like you just wake up early because you're so stressed you can't sleep? No, I mean because you're such a well-oiled machine. Um, I, uh, it's been years since I've, I've awakened to an alarm clock. Um, I, I remember what it was like to to wake up to one, though. And um, the oracle by Malachi, on behalf of God, is like an alarm clock to the people, maybe an alarm clock to you. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're drifting. And it's like God starts going, meh, 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 meh. It kind of feels a little like that. I found that. I thought that was worthy of a. Of a. Maybe, maybe this will be the word for you. And God is saying. Meh, 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 or slap, slap, slap. Like wake up. You're missing out on life. Malachi is beeping loudly. And, and here's how people respond. Here's how you'll respond. Some of you will hit snooze and say. Oh, I know Russell you're talking to me. But uh, I'm just going to sleep a little bit longer. Others of you um, have been hitting the snooze for some time. Here's the problem with that. Eventually, you're going to, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Still, others of you um, are just going to turn it off and just say, God, you can have every area of my life, but except for that one. You're going to stay asleep. Malachi is oracling all of us this morning. Because God cares about what is in our lives and what is in our heart. Not only so that we will live a life of gratitude and sincere worship, but for his glory. So my charge to you this morning on behalf of Malachi is to wake up in that area of your life that you've been sleeping And I don't know about you, but it's a strong word for me. And I hope and pray that you'll be moved to respond. Let's pray on and think about these things. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and the way that you've worked in our lives. Just with your head bowed, I just sense the Spirit saying that there are some of you that need to be given a little bit of time to just acknowledge before the lord that area of your life where you've been drifting. And here's the here's the deal. If there's one area of your life you've been drifting, your whole life is drifting. Will you hear the alarm? Maybe more applicable Are you in a state of ingratitude and is it affecting your worship? Are you focused on what God isn't doing for you, crying out, what have you ever done for me, God? And God is saying, I have done everything for you. Just take 30 seconds and take it before the Lord. Don't leave this place. Don't hit snooze on that. In just a moment, we're going to respond with the taking of the Lord's Supper. And David's going to lead us. And during that time, I'm going to be standing over here to the side. And maybe part of your act of repentance, of turning away from whatever area you know that is is disobedience before the Lord, you want me to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. Um, But let's respond. Let's not hit snooze. Let's say, okay, God... I've been living with some ingratitude in my heart, and I know it's affected my life of worship. Maybe some of that ingratitude is kind of stirred up in you, some willingness to sin also. God Almighty, we love you. Thank you for today and for this word. And in spite of the temperature in this room, we have gotten to sit under your word and hear from you. God, you're an awesome God, and we love you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. David's going to lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper at this time.